Well, let me provide you with a table of contents here to begin with. You're going to be hearing from three speakers uh, to begin with. Your pastor emeritus, Ross Marion, is going to be speaking and addressing the Sieg family as a whole. And then uh, James Peavy is going to be speaking, and he is a missionary to the Dominican Republic. He, his wife Lauren, and his children have been here about seven months, right? And uh, they've got one more Sunday left with us before they ship out again to the Dominican Republic. And he will be addressing Daniel specifically. And then I'll bring up the rear, and my audience is you all. And all of this has to do with uh, how does a church send someone from themselves out to a position in missions and how does a church take care of them while they're there that's basically the idea without taking any more time uh, please welcome your pastor emeritus ross marion Good morning. morning. It is good to see you. One or two of you haven't gotten any better looking, though. (laughs) I'm delighted to be with you this morning. Isaac, Pastor Isaac, thank you so much for the opportunity. When... Isaac and I were talking about this morning. He said, uh, Ross, uh, just a couple of things. Be brief. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) You folks know I've had a hard time doing that, but I have spent two weeks Uh, thinking about this morning, at least those two weeks, and thinking about being brief. And I'm going to refer to three passages of Scripture that you all know and that uh, my responsibility this morning is to speak to uh, with the the parents in mind of our missionary going to Siloam. James is a missionary who served the Lord a number of years, a lot of experience, James has learned well and faithfully serves. Daniel, you will do well to take heart and remember James' words of wisdom. Again, I have the privilege of addressing a few thoughts to mom and dad, Randy and Rose. Having children, and I'm sure this is the one thing I would not get any objection to at all from anyone. Having children is not for the faint of heart. While it carries with it great joys and blessings, it is work. It is work. I want to direct your attention to three very, very familiar passages of Scripture and then make a brief application. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake. In vain. 
It is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. I never read that one phrase of verse 3 of that psalm without thinking, I need to repeat that. Children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. These things being true that the psalmist spoke, and they are, our first responsibility is to recognize that our children are lives that the Lord has given to us. He has entrusted them to us. It becomes our parental responsibility to bring up our children in the ways of the Lord and his word. The old expression you've heard, I've heard for so long, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. My second passage is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Again, a verse that is very familiar. Train up a child in a way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This morning is not a time for an exposition of the psalm or of this particular verse. But one who trains others must himself be trained. If you are to train your children in the fear of the Lord, as a parent, you must become familiar with heaven's manual for training children. And that's God's word. In God's word, we learn the principles of discipline and correction, which are essential elements in child training. You remember how the Apostle Paul spoke about Timothy. Remember the two people that Paul mentioned, particularly in Timothy's life? His mother and his grandmother. Sometimes moms get so busy, this tends to fall by the wayside. And sadly, too often, grandparents are ruled out. I don't know why that's true, but it is sometimes. mother and grandmother and the apostle says in 2nd Timothy that they taught him well in the things of the Lord is it any surprise to any who are here who know that that Timothy came to faith in Christ at a young age The Apostle Paul addresses an important word to dads in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, my wife was kind enough to type some things for me and 
put them here so I could see them much better. And she said, Hun, Randy and Rose have already done these things. Aren't you a little behind? I believe Randy and Rose are good examples of these things. With Daniel answering the Lord's call and moving to Siloam Springs, parenting responsibilities change, but they do not end. I would say to children and to parents this morning, when you get to be 16 or 18 or 21, the parenting responsibilities of your parents do not come to an end. You do yourself well, young person, to live like that. And remember that their responsibilities continue. Love continues. Whether you're 16 or 66, your parents love you. That won't come to an end. They pray for you. That won't end. We've got a young man who's leaving his home this morning. But these things with his parents will not end. They continue. And advice when sought is gladly given by parents. So there are changes in the relationship but it is still there, and it is maturing. I'm sure you will never forget that. Randy and Rose, though I was speaking to you in particular, and that's my responsibility this morning, I believe that because you have faithfully discharged these responsibilities and others, that the Lord will use Daniel for his glory. And those of you who are here from Solomon Spring this morning, I hope that you will remember his parents too because they are the backbone. They continue to be the backbone of who this young man is. The church family has faithfully prayed for you, for the family, for this young man. And we will continue to do so. And may God continue to bless you and use Daniel to his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ding, 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 round two. <laughs> I think I speak for just about everyone who sat under Pastor Roz's ministry, and this is no slight on Pastor Isaac, but that was, that was a, a, a blessing, to say the least. Um, it was good to see, it's good to see you back in this pulpit. Daniel, Acts 18. 
That's where we're going. So Acts 18, um, we're not going to expound the deep theological truths of this passage. We don't have time for that. Um, we're going to get this ship moving, throw some more coal in the fire, and roll on down the tracks. Um, Acts 18, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to start off, and then we'll read a little bit more down a little farther. But the main character in this story is not the person we're going to be focusing on. Uh, Paul's the main character. Uh, well, actually, the Lord is the main character. Paul is merely carrying out the Lord's wishes in this. But Paul is the, Paul's the hero of the story, but it's not the hero of the story we want to focus on. So let's look at Acts 18, verses 1 through 5. After this, there's a lot of this before Acts 18, so if you want to find out what this is referring to, read um, on your own time. Uh, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had come or had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and went, he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So when we look at this passage, Daniel, one of the things, and I've been thinking about this quite a bit, um, is trying to find a way to explain, not just to you, but really to the whole congregation as well, of what it is that you're doing and how we are, when you go to Siloam and you're working on houses, you're doing so much more than just working on houses. You're doing so much more than just repairing a washing machine or than fixing a leaky roof. And when I think of that, you're, you're, you've, got a, you've got a trade, you've got a craft, you've got a skill that you're doing with your hands. And I look at this passage here, I'm seeing two people come to mind, Aquila and Priscilla. It says here that these two people have the craft or the trade of working and being tent makers. That word there is literally leather, leather workers. They would have made probably more than just tents, but that would have been the main thing. Their main trade would have been selling, making and selling tents. And so they had this trade. They were Jews. They meet up with Paul. And it doesn't explain here whether or not these Jews are Christians, but through history we can assume that they are Christians um, because of how they were expelled from Rome. And there's a long history in that, but the, the assumption here is that these Jews are Christians coming in to, to, Corinthian, or to Corinth, and Paul meets up with them, and he works with them because they're tent makers by trade. He had the same trade as them. They become his companions, and Paul, in this verse 4, you see here, he's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, when you look at verse 5, something changes drastically in this chapter or this, in this, this pattern here. So every Sabbath he's going in and reasoning. During the week he's working with Aquila and Priscilla, and they're, built, they're making tents. And then when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied. You see that word there, occupied? He was, he was continually focused upon the word, upon the ministry of preaching the word and teaching the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So Paul, there was something that changed between verse 4 and verse 5. He had Silas and Timothy come along. And so his team... From, and for lack of a better way of saying it, his team, his companions, moved from Paul and Aquila and Priscilla to Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Silas, and Timothy. And the growth in his team allowed Paul to focus solely upon preaching the word 
And so when I think through support ministries, because that's essentially what Siloam is, it's a support ministry, I see a very good corollary between, or correlation between what Paul was doing here and the missionaries who are passing through Siloam and who are being receiving the encouragement, receiving the, receiving the benefit of the ministry, the support of a ministry like Siloam. And there are many ministries like this um, that, that support the missionaries. And because of that, the missionaries are able to focus themselves on what God has called them to do because of the work that people like Siloam and like Daniel here are doing. And so when we see this, the idea here is that Paul gave up his tent making and he only preached the gospel and he was only able to do this because of the team that was with him. So this is the reason why he finishes out some of his letters, I personally believe, by referencing so many people who were his hosts, who were his companions. And when you read some of these letters, like in Corinthians, in, or in uh, Colossians, and then you go into uh, Timothy and some of these other letters that Paul is writing, and he's saying, this person salutes you, and this person salutes you, and Gaius and his, his household, and Aristarchus and his household, because they are being hosts for the apostle, for the missionary. And this is a legitimate ministry. And I think we can legitimately make this parallel without people like Aquila and Priscilla who have a tra- craft, who have a trade, who are using it to the glory of God, and others who supported Paul while traveled with him, Paul would not have been able to accomplish the things that he did. Support ministries make it possible for missionaries to do their job. Just for lack of a better way of saying it, without support ministries most missionaries would not be able to do deputation and furlough without ministries like Siloam. My wife and I, we've just wrapping up the last of a seven-month furlough, and if it were not for the fact that we were coming back and moving into a fully furnished house, my father-in-law was willing to allow us to stay in his home. He charged us a whopping, a whopping rent each month. Um, <laughs> we had to pay it all up front. I paid him $7 up front. But without that we would not have been able to do this ministry quite to the fullest effect that we've had because we would have been focused on paying, paying the bills back, down, back in the Dominican Republic because we're still paying rent. Most missionaries still pay rent in their homes back in whatever country they're coming from or they're paying their mortgage. They're, paying, they're normally paying their light bill. They're normally paying, like in our case, paying someone to stay in their home as well. And then you come back and you say, oh, well, we're going to rent a, an apartment for six months that's not furnished. And so when you start adding all this up, it moves from the normal rent of being six, $700 a month to twelve, fifteen, two thousand $2,000 that they're spending a month. And missionaries, just to be honest with you, they can't do that. And so, Daniel, when you're working on these houses and you're, when you're, you're fixing someone's, someone's dishwasher that's spraying water everywhere and making, causing the woman to panic, you're doing much more than just fixing a washing machine. You're making sure that those people can do their ministry to the fullest that God has called them to. And making the transition stateside for a temporary ministry is difficult, but you are easing that stress. You're easing the financial burden. You're easing the stress of trying to figure out how they're going to do it. And finding a home in a place like Siloam is a major encouragement to missionaries. Oftentimes missionaries continue, like I said, they continue to pay that rent, but people like Daniel make it possible for them to do their job effectively. And so my challenge to you, Daniel, today is to work. I know you're a hard worker. I've seen you work. 
Um, I'm going to get to see you work in the Dominican Republic this summer. I'm excited about that. If you're a hard worker, continue to work and pursue excellence in your job. Pursue excellence in your role to the glory of God. You've made a sacrifice. You've made a financial sacrifice. Um, you, have made, you have made sacrifice of leaving family. It's hard even to move away from family just an hour, hour and a half away. It's still hard. And you've chosen to go into a job that this is not meant to offend anybody, but you've chosen to go into a job that has no room for corporate advancement. You're not going to move up a corporate ladder at Siloam. And you've chosen this because this is what God's called you to. And you're an example to the, most, the rest of us of thinking through how can we use what, the gifts and skills that God has given us to his glory and what is, what is God calling me to do rather than what the money is calling me to do. And I, I am encouraged to see that. But also I want to challenge you to continue to work. Work hard and pursue excellence. So welcome to the ministry, my friend. Because that's what it is. It's hard work for... For, for a little glory and a little pay, oftentimes. Um, but it is so rewarding. Work hard to make the lives of these missionaries less stressful and encourage them in their ministry. And now finally, just because you're skilled labor, just because you're a skilled craftsman, and you're working in a support ministry, doesn't mean that you need to be theologically ignorant. It doesn't mean that you say, oh, I'm going to leave the theology for... The, the professionals. I'm going, to leave the, the, I'm going to leave all of that for people who are trained in that. It doesn't mean you're theologically ignorant. Look at these two people again. And a lot has happened. They've moved all over the place, and they end up in Ephesus. Now, verse 24, in Ephesus, they meet another Jew. His name's Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he only knew of the baptism of John. So we have a man here whose theology is incomplete, who is passionate, and he's an evangelist, and he's going and he's preaching towards the kingdom of Christ. He's preaching about Christ, but he doesn't know who Christ is because he's only heard of John. And he begins to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They explained to Apollos the work of Christ, saying, explaining to him that Christ died on the cross, that he was the Messiah. They explained this to him, and Apollos accepts it, and he becomes a great missionary. That's what the Scriptures tells us in verse 28. It says, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. He becomes a great orator, or a preacher of the, of the gospel. But it's because two people who are tradesmen, who are skilled laborers, said, you know, we're not, it's not good enough for us to leave the theology to the professionals. Instead, they challenged this man and said, Christ is the Messiah. They, they, they were theologically trained. They were theologically um, uh, astute in this area. And they explained the word of God more accurately. And when I think of this, there's a book out, and Isaac's read through this a couple times. It's uh, called Every Moment Holy. It's on liturgies. And liturgies are a fancy word for prayers. Uh, pre-written prayers, and the book is written by a guy, I, I can't remember, McDunkel, what was his name again? 
you, we were talking about this at McElveridge. You have to look it up. Every moment holy. So anyhow, it's, a, it's an Irish name. And I was reading through, and his, he's, he works as the sexton of an Anglican church. And I thought, oh, that's really cool, a sexton of an Anglican church. I was thinking a sexton was kind of like a bishop, because there's a lot of different names and, for pastors and different, different ministries. And when I finally, I, was, I, I said, okay, what is a sexton? So I Googled, found it. You know what a sexton is? This man who writes this book that pretty much half of, half of the Christian world is using now to read for liturgies as a sexton. His job is maintenance and grounds at an Anglican church. And he has written one of the best theological works that I've read in a long time. And so my, my challenge to you, Daniel, is not to say, oh, I'm working with my hands, I don't need to know theology. Because you're going to have missionaries who are going to pass through Siloam, and they're going to come in and they're going to, they're going to have a world of hurt. They're going, to have, they're going to be dealing with separation from their country. They're going to be dealing with the angst of going back. Their children are going to be struggling with things. They're going to be struggling with stuff that's happened on the field. And they may not talk to a professional counselor, but Daniel, when you're in your home, their home and you're fixing something and they're striking up conversation with you, you're going to have opportunities to talk with people. You're going to be eating dinner with them. You're going to be uh, moving, going into their home. You're going to be doing services for them. You're probably, possibly even going to be watching their kids occasionally from time to time. Watching them play on that McDonald's playground that's there. Is that still there? So, yeah, Daniel, you're going to be involved with these people. And because of the relationship you will have, they will be more willing to open up to you than they would to a pastor at a church that they're just going to stop in on a Sunday and then leave again. So my challenge to you, Daniel, is to prepare yourself because missionaries, they deal and they struggle with some very deep issues. And while they may not talk to a professional, They'll talk to the man who's fixing their washing machine. So I challenge you, Daniel, to study. Study God's word. Get to know God's word so that way you're not theologically ignorant. Because I know you're not. I've heard you talk. I've spoken with you. I've seen you, I've seen you in Sunday school. I've seen you in um, not children's church, in, in youth group. I've seen you over and over. And I've, I've, I've seen your passion for God's word. But don't let your, your trade keep you from studying and becoming a theologian. Because theologians, every single one of us are theologians. We all make assumptions about who God is and what he is. There are good theologians and bad theologians. Bad theologians make assumptions from their own opinion about who God is. But good theologians study God's word and find out what God's word says about him. And that is where they build their theology. And it doesn't have to be a professional. You don't have to write books. You don't have to preach messages. But study God's word. When you're fixing your washing machine or repairing that leaky roof, you are doing so much more than maintenance. You're doing your part in the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. So I challenge you, work hard and prepare yourself to encourage. Thank you. When we think about missions and missionaries from the perspective of our Bibles, we usually think about the Apostle Paul to begin with. And the truth of it is, though he's most prominent, most well-known, 13 books written in the New Testament, as James has already illustrated here, that was not all that was going on. And it's also our tendency when we think about missions or specifically the missionary in modern day, we want to think of one man alone in a jungle 
learning a language, to translate a Bible in order to preach, in order to win souls. And he might be getting started by the time he spent his entire life doing it. That's some missionaries' stories, but not all of them. And uh, I find it interesting what we choose to discuss on a day like this, but the Apostle Paul's wide footprint that we see through the book of Acts and the New Testament letters was due in large part to a network of Christian brothers and sisters he began to gather around him shortly after his call. James has already mentioned a number of them. And depending on how broadly the term is defined... 80 to 90 people are described through the New Testament as being an associate of Paul in one form or another. Some appear to relate to him as equals like Barnabas or Apollos, this was mentioned, or Aquila. Others as subordinates. These were the men that he would send here and there. Timothy, Titus, Tychicus. Some worked closely with Paul like Timothy, Luke, and Silas. You actually hear him mentioning them where he is Others independently, like Apollos or Prisca or Barnabas. Some carry out their work in a local setting, Philemon, Euodia. Some travel with Paul or serve as his delegates when he cannot travel or is in jail, like Luke or Timothy or Titus. Still, all of his co-workers act cooperatively with him in a wide variety of missions. They weren't all the same. They didn't all have the same skill set. Same background. All of them were from many different places. Most of them weren't Jewish. In his letter, Paul refers to these brothers and sisters by words like co-worker, apostle, brother, minister, fellow servant, fellow soldier, and even a fellow prisoner. The terms are not synonymous. They complement each other, however. But here's my point. The types of services these associates provide Paul and his congregations depend primarily on the gifts given to each of them. And suppose where those gifts came from. The same man who issues the call to put him where he needs to be. This is God's business. These co-workers assisted Paul. What we read where the church began... Assisted him in his travels, in his preaching, in his teaching, in hosting church gatherings, repairing problems in the churches, meeting needs while he's in prison, writing letters as he dictates them. And what I wanted to say to all this is it's still going on. The network is much larger, much more involved, but it's really no different. Our Lord who saved us, is still calling men and women who are useful to the ministry according to the gifts He's given them. That's the point I want to make as far as speaking to you, the church at large, as to know what it is we're we're looking at here. What function do we see Daniel as having? So the question we ask ourselves... As his sending church, what are our specific responsibilities to Daniel Sieg? Having already established the fact that he's been gifted and he's been called and has been implemented uh, somewhere around the beginning of this year. Let me read to you quickly a little passage of Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but just try to imagine it in your head, what's going on. I'll make a few points and then 
We'll pray together, and then we'll go eat. This is verse 1 of 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers, these are missionaries, came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Thank you for taking care of the missionaries, I know, is what he's saying. Strangers as they are to you, you didn't know them, who testify to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's the motivation. We'll conclude with that thought. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles, therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So here's just a number of things that come out of this passage. We could take a long time to show you exactly how you can extract them. But they're here. There are more. But number one, concern for missions and missionaries are a normal part of life together as Christians. John acts like this is nothing special. This is no big favor. I'm going to put myself out there hoping. No, everybody does this. From, from the Gospels to begin with, through Acts and into the Epistles, Missionaries are supported. This is what we're supposed to do. We've been given the gospel, so we give it. It's that simple. Number two, local church cooperation is a good thing. I think Siloam Missionary Homes would agree that it takes more than one church to fund that operation. We're glad churches cooperate with each other. All of us can do a lot more than some of us. And a good church allows your missions contributions To go further than if it was just you alone. We see that in this passage. We've got different men with different churches working together for the same cause. Number three. Knowing whom we ought to support is important. This kind of equates to John speaking on behalf of some brothers who've come back to him and talked about how good his friend Gaius was. But... It seems as if there's some credentialing going on here, approval, maybe even giving authority that these men have done what they do faithfully. Um, I haven't had the opportunity in the limited time I've spent as a pastor or working in a church to talk to but so many people who come and say, I think we're being called into the mission field. We need some training. What should we do? But any time I've ever been given the opportunity to speak into that, I usually start with this. And it usually confuses people. They think it should be a lot more. And I say, why don't you just be the best, most faithful member of the church you belong to right here, right now. We'll work on that other stuff in time. Daniel Sieg passed that test with flying colors. He'd been working hard for long before I ever got here. First time I met him, he's putting together the bunk beds my boys up in the balcony are sleeping in when we moved in. He beat me there, you know, to, to move in. And he's driving, and, and it's like the, the snap-on tool truck. He's got more tools than the snap-on guy does. And he'll even let you keep some of them if you need them, as long as you give them back. Learned that from his daddy, Right? 
he passed that test. He was faithful where he was. Now he's been called up to be faithful somewhere else. So in this passage, it looks like that's important. Well, we got that covered. Our support should be significant. John says that they should support these men in a manner worthy of God. Not in a manner worthy of you or the man, in a manner worthy of a VP or in a manner worthier of some big shot. This point's the easiest one to do. Treat him like he's God. Or treat him as if you would treat Jesus when he came here to do what he did so that everyone could know our sins are forgiven and in faith we can have eternal life. Number five, our motivation is the love for the glory of God. That's that part at the end. To be fellow workers for the truth. The truth is the gospel. Daniel's helping us in the ministry of the truth so that others might know. Now how do we maintain our local responsibility as a church? Knowing all these things to be true. Well, these are just some practical things. You could add to this list, but I think they're important. Regular communication would, would be great, as with anything else. It's hard enough to move away and just leave your parents two hours. That's what I had to do. Saw them this week. I missed them. It was part of being moved where you're supposed to be. Regular communication. You think of Siloam Home when you see it in the bulletin because it's Siloam, that's the mission of the week. Write him a note. Write Daniel one. Put some money in it. That's good communication. When you think, he won't send it back. Regular visits. I know many of you go every Thanksgiving. Been there myself once. If you hadn't been yet, you got to go. You'll never have seen anything like that. And for those of you who have no clue what Siloam Missionary Home is, imagine out in the rural county, a whole neighborhood full of houses, but with extra stuff there too, like a place where people can, can gather food, a place to get a haircut, a place for all of them to gather for a meal sometimes, but set up for someone coming off the field and where some place to stay would take out of their funds that would lessen the work of the ministry. They're allowed to stay there with other missionaries. Until they can go back. They actually get a break. Can recharge. It's a great place. And Daniel's going to be making sure the whole place runs. If you own a home, you know what it is to take care of one of them. He's going to be taking care of a lot of them. Sending short-term help. We got that coming in June. It's in your bulletin. In the, in the chapel chimes weekly. Go. See what it looks like with your own eyes. There's extending hospitality. That's what we're going to do down here. We're going to eat together. But that's not it. There'll be more need for more hospitality. Just like a guy who would lend you his tools, he might need to borrow some. But a big family can do that a lot better than a smaller one. Provide additional teammates. This is the one I thought about leaving off. Because we already miss you, buddy. VBS won't be the same. Um, our trustee board isn't the same sound crew up there isn't the same um, I couldn't imagine sending anybody else I don't want to send you on, 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 a, on a purely selfish level 
This has its cost involved. And I'm not his parents here. Good missions done right hurts. But you don't get in the way of the Lord when he says, I've prepared him for this and I want to use him. So we hold with loose hands. And the blessing will come back, if not here, later. And Daniel, you'll have to just give the Lord a big credit card because the link that you serve in this long chain that's connected to the church and then the mission field, you may never know the things that these people you see for a brief time are able to do because of what you've done. It'll all get sorted out in heaven. We'll find out what good and what use the ministry for which Christ died will be benefited by you going and us letting you go. And your parents the same way. And to make sure that we tie all of this up together so it doesn't get loose and some of it blow away, we wrap it up in prayer. Pray fervently. We'll need a missionary card. That's what I use. Even like trading cards, you know. And flip through them and pray for people. But that's how you get it done. You pray. Pray for him, whatever he's doing. Lord, he might be stuck and need a part. And how aggravating it is to ha- need to fix something. You don't have the part. You've got to wait on the... Pray for that. Or pray that you have wisdom. With just a kind word to somebody who's pretty worn out. Used up. The Lord knows what the need is. You just address the prayer. You remind me of a guy named Wayne Bishop. He's a fellow that I knew in... Uh, Virginia. He's with the Lord now, even though he wasn't much older than me. But he went on a missions trip, and uh, when we would send a missions trip out, most of these guys were builders, their background, and we had one that we supported. And they'd put on roofs, they'd build buildings, repair buildings, put on additions, but all overseas. And it was tough to do that. They don't have a Lowe's or Home Depot there. So these men had to have uh, all types of skills, especially troubleshooting. But he took care of a large uh, farm and did fencing. And he was a man you just didn't hear a lot from. And he hated to speak in front of anybody else. Um, But he was in a line of testimonies. And basically just written down half of what they did in chronological order. But he kept using the word ordinary over and over and over and over again. He said, eight ordinary guys... Got in an ordinary church van, went to an ordinary airport, got on an ordinary plane, went over to an ordinary place with ordinary people, took ordinary supplies and ordinary tools and ordinary skills and put this building together. And before we left, we had an ordinary pastor gather a bunch of ordinary people. But before we all left that night, the extraordinary happened. Somebody heard the good news of the gospel and they gave their heart to Jesus. And this trip will be remembered in eternity. It's just ordinary stuff. That in the hands of God can become extraordinary. And the whole place was just... Wow. That guy knows how to simplify things. But that's what missions is. It's all ordinary stuff. But God uses it extraordinarily. And for the purpose of enlarging his kingdom. So those men that we read about in Third John went for the sake of the name. Daniel, it's our privilege to send you to Siloam for the sake of the name. 
It's a privilege to do so. Now, here's the fun part. I'm going to ask all our deacons, if you'll stand right where you are, and come down here toward the front. Uh, we've got a chair. We're going to move right here on the floor, and Daniel, you're going to sit in that chair. And our deacons are going to gather around you. There's nothing magic about this, but they're going to put their hands on you, and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask Larry George, who's president over at Siloam, to lead us in that prayer. But this is a prayer of dedication. Come on, guys. Um, for Daniel Sieg, for success in ministry, that the Lord will use him, and that the Lord won't let us forget about what's going on. And uh, this is how we'll conclude this service. And then we'll sing us a benediction, and we'll go that way. But in addition to praying for Daniel, I'm going to ask that Larry George pray for our food as well. But folks, thank you for being here. And while he's praying, you're praying, we're praying for the Lord's grace and to thank him for what we've seen and heard today. As we pray this morning, I'd like to ask for all of you to stand. And I'd like to have you gather your hands across the aisle to each other. This is all one body of Christ. Reach across the aisle that we all pray together. Today is one of probably the most important days of Daniel's life. And we need to realize that we need to encourage him every day and willing as we stand and hold the hand with the person next to him that we will pray for him every day that God would use him to bring honor and glory. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9, verse 10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Our prayer today is that Daniel and the work that he does, the gifts that God's given him, that he'd be able to use that to encourage missionaries to continue to go. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today this morning rejoicing that another saint has decided to follow you, Lord, not only as a disciple, but be willing to go where he's needed. I thank you, Lord, for Daniel's life and for his willingness to serve, his encouragement that he's been just in the short time that I've known him, his love for you, his love for his family, and, Lord, most of all, his love to want to serve you. I ask you, Lord, that today that you would put a hedge of protection around Daniel, and, Lord, that as he goes through trials and tribulations in his life and times of discouragement, in times of seeing people that are discouraged coming home, weary and war-torn from traveling around the world, that you would be that beacon to use him, Lord, to be able to bring others to you. And, Lord, I just ask you that you'd provide all his needs. Lord, that you'd keep him safe, that you would keep him healthy in everything that he's doing. But most of all, God, that, his, that your glory would shine through him. Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for this church that not only preaches missions, but willing to send their own. In a day and age that we live, that we're drawn close to ourselves and not willing to be able to go out and serve where God's called us to go. But Lord, the willingness of the, of the people of this church to be able to take a man that has served well here and be willing to give up their own selfish ambitions to say, Lord, send him and use him. Lord, I ask you that right now that you would use this church as a beginning to send out more and more young people to a lost and dying world. Lord, where the average missionary today is over, four, over 50 years old, 
and the need to send missionaries, Lord, is needed now more than ever before, and that, God, you'll continue to do that, that, Lord, that you would bless this church with the enthusiasm and the encouragement to send others. And, Lord, I want to thank you for the meal that we're about ready to partake of. God, that it would be used not only to nourish our bodies, but a time of fellowship, as even the early disciples did as they would gather together and pray and, and Lord, eat together. I want to thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Bless this church, the pastor, every member here. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.